0: Uh, one person involved has been murdered. Uh, another died in mysterious circumstances. There have been beatings. Uh, there have been uh, extractions by armed security personnel, people thought to be in danger.
1: My guest today is Matthew Campbell. Matt is an award-winning reporter and editor for Bloomberg Business Week magazine. His latest book, which he co-authored with Kit Chalel, is Dead in the Water, a true story of hijacking, murder, and a global maritime conspiracy. Dead in the Water is a shocking expose of the corrupt inner workings of international shipping told through the lens of one such hijacking in its aftermath. I recently sat down with Matt, and we talked about the hidden system that powers seaborne trade, moving goods by tanker across the oceans of the world, and how terrible crimes can occur often with no consequences. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it uh, since I finished reading your book. Really, really great stuff, man. Thanks
0: so much for having me.
1: Uh, so, folks, the name of the book is "Dead in the Water: A True Story of Hijacking, Murder, and Global Maritime Conspiracy." You know, I, I you know I want to tell you, I it just flew through this book. It was like reading a, a you know fiction. Crazy.
0: That's what we were going for. Uh, my co-author Kit and I wanted this to read like a thriller. And the events it describes are kind of stranger than fiction uh, in some ways. And and so what we wanted to do was, yeah, turn this into something riveting, uh, despite the fact that it's about, you know, fundamentally the insurance industry, uh, sort of improbably.
1: yeah Crazy. All right. So I want to I want to start from the beginning, because uh, not only is the hijacking and those who saw, you know, Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks, how this really plays all into that. It's something somewhat similar in the same general vicinity of that in terms of what the story's about. But before we even go into that, what I found so interesting, and I think you write about it in the beginning of the book, you know, we get our, we get our iPhones and virtually everything we wear, buy clothes, this and that, through the, through the ocean, right through big cargo ships going back and forth. And I think it's a 38 or $40 billion industry, ocean and coastal transportation, and very, very little... It is known of what goes on at the open seas is that more or less right
0: that is more or less right so you know time was not all that long ago when a lot of people would have had a lot of exposure to the shipping business you know if, if you think of new york city the whole west side used to be piers where you know ocean going vessels would would load and unload uh, after the Second World War, it, it didn't take long for the ships to get too big. So in New York's case, the port got moved out to New Jersey. Uh, in London, what's now Canary Wharf was the main ocean going port. That's all gone, of course. So one thing that happened was uh, people just didn't see or or really interact with shipping in the way they did before. Another thing that happened was uh, the sailors who used to come from the US, from Europe, uh, from the country's, uh, buying goods, uh, were replaced by sailors from places like the Philippines, Indonesia, India. And the other thing that happened, probably the most important is the shipping business as a financial matter went completely offshore, uh, all through a network of shell companies in places like the Cayman Islands, uh, tax havens, secrecy jurisdictions, and employing things like flags of convenience which which we can talk about which are kind of only in shipping uh crazy legal arrangement that allows uh, ship owners to get around a lot of regulation and this all all these factors came together to uh, make it so that it was just very hard for most of us to know anything about this industry okay
1: so you met a lot of shady characters you were I don't know if you're threatened I remember I remember reading something or as they said you know don't ask about this, and we'll talk about that in a second, what they told you. But is that more or less right? You were, you were treading too close uh, in certain cases, asking the, wrong, the right questions in the wrong areas?
0: So the case at the center of the book, which involves one vessel in particular, is one that, that has a kind of dangerous reputation. Uh, one person involved has been murdered. Uh, another died in mysterious circumstances. There have been beatings, uh, there have been uh, extractions by armed security personnel, people thought to be in danger. So I think it is right to say that Kit and I knew we were in a pretty uneasy territory in some cases. Uh, we were never directly threatened, although we were certainly warned that we needed to be attentive to our safety. You know, that said, the risk isn't really to us. Uh, we are, you know, international journalists who work for, for a big media organization and have a public profile, uh, taking a pop at us would be pretty unwise on the part of whoever tried to do it. We were much more concerned about risks to our sources, uh, which is something we did have to think about throughout this process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. So the the industry today, the global maritime industry is huge. Uh, We can get goods from any part of the world. We're talking not only goods, but commodities as well. And this book centers around oil especially. And uh, moving from point A to point B with very little regulation, uh, out at sea, basically the law is the captain on the the, the boat. And throw in something even better now, uh, pirates, which cause havoc throughout the whole shipping industry. And then we tie in... Lloyd's of London and the insurers into this, and you have the makings of a lot of, a lot of problems, a lot of, a lot of. First of all, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, and a lot of fraud, with with a lot of motivation for a lot of people to because, there's not that many consequences.
0: That's a pretty good sketch of it. Actually, uh, this is a huge industry, shipping which uh, is responsible as the title of of a great book about shipping uh, had it for 90% of everything. Basically, if you look around any room you're in, most of what's in there got to you on a boat at some stage of its journey. You know, air freight is a big business, but uh, shipping is really where the bulk of international goods go. Uh, Container ships, oil tankers, obviously, uh, bulk carriers that, that carry things like iron ore for steel or coal so yeah it is it is a huge industry it's one on which we all depend uh you know in the developed world this is how we get consumer goods in countries like china and vietnam thailand uh, there have been millions of people propelled into the middle class because of cheap shipping because if if there wasn't cheap and efficient shipping manufacturing in those countries wouldn't be viable as as a matter of exporting to, to north america and europe so you know, I think I think there is a temptation. Uh, certainly, uh, when I talk about the book, to you know discuss the evils of the shipping industry, and they are real. But I think it's also important to note that you know a big part of the modern world and and many positive things about the modern world were made possible by the growth and and the growing sophistication of the shipping business.
1: Okay, so your book focuses. Oh well, before we go with with with, with the with the. Uh... Uh, with the boat that uh, you talk about in the book and you, and you frame everything around, is Captain Phillips, right, with uh, Tom Hanks. That wasn't really Captain Phillips, but the real Captain Phillips. Just to share with us, what was he doing that they made a motion picture out of? Uh, what's it called? Um, it's called Captain Phillips, right? Is that called Captain
0: Phillips, Captain yeah, Phillips. that's right.
1: Give us a, a quick synopsis of that and how accurate and true that story was.
0: So uh, that film was about a real incident, uh, which happened, I believe was 2008, uh, where uh, a vessel called the Marisk, Alabama, was hijacked by Somali pirates and uh, really taken totally, uh, who took control of the vessel, uh, brought it uh, to, I believe, to the Somali coast. Ultimately, there was a really dramatic rescue by uh, U.S. Navy SEALs, who were able to kill the pirates, rescue the vessel, uh, and, and you know save the day, essentially. Um, it was pretty accurate. I think events more or less unfolded as the film depicted. You, you hardly had to sex them up. I mean, it was a pretty amazing story. Um, but it was not typical because piracy is a big problem. Uh, currently, one of the hotspots is West Africa, the Gulf of Guinea. At the time, it was all about Uh, the waters between Yemen and Somalia, the Gulf of Aden, uh, where Somali pirates were taking ships hostage, bringing them to the Somali coast and holding them for ransom. And, you know, getting rescued by Navy SEALs is something that happened pretty much never, uh, apart from the Marist, Alabama. What would usually happen is uh, the ship owners, the cargo owners, or more likely uh, their insurance companies, would pay a ransom. And that's how they got back the ship and the crew. So uh, where our book opens, uh, which is in the Gulf of Aden in 2011, piracy was a huge problem. There were attacks, uh, certainly uh, every couple days, not all successful, but but many were. Uh, And and success uh, would mean a vessel being hijacked, uh, taken to Somalia, and held for ransom. And this was a constant concern for the international shipping industry at the time because those waters are incredibly important. If you want to get cargo from Asia to Europe, from the Mediterranean uh, to the Indian Ocean, in other words, you need to go through the Suez Canal. And to go through the Suez Canal, uh, you need to transit the Gulf of Aden between uh, the Arabian Peninsula in the north and the Horn of Africa on the south. There was no way around it.
1: And why the, why this specific area? Because of the lawlessness of these countries, that pirates are able to act, you know, kind of brazenly
0: the the thing to know about pirates is they depend on land they depend on on a hospitable environment on land so in the kind of you know johnny depp pirates of the caribbean era there were ports throughout the caribbean where pirates could have safe haven you know one of the reasons that we don't have piracy in the caribbean anymore or really in the americas at all is because those lawless areas no longer exist there's nowhere for pirates to go where they won't be pursued by law enforcement The reason that piracy thrived in Somalia and off the coast of Somalia is Somalia has been effectively a failed state for the better part of 30 years now uh, without much of a government, certainly in large parts of the country and uh, an environment where pirates could operate from shore pretty much with impunity. So that those conditions provided the basis for piracy in the Gulf of Aden and, and actually for pirates to get incredibly ambitious. I mean, some of these attacks were happening three, four five hundred miles out to sea, uh, despite the fact these guys are in tiny little boats, you know, sort of in mesh tank tops uh, with rusty Kalashnikov rifles. Uh, they were very good at their jobs and, and they did often succeed.
1: So when we think of pirates, before we get into the book and and before we get into this one specific uh, um, case, which you talk about, which is boat, I just want, because it it really opened up a whole world to me. You know, you think of pirates, you think of, you know, Johnny Depp kind of thing. But what's happening here, and uh, I'm just remembering from Captain Phillips and and just from reading and and looking in your book and the pictures, because it really had the same type of uh, craft that, um, that, uh, that Captain Phillips was in, this orange type of lifeboat. That was encased and all That's right. Yeah. So you have pirates in a speedboat with guns pull up beside a big, huge tanker, get on board by uh, by threatening the crew, by shooting, by what have you. They get on board, even though the ship might have barbed wire or have guards or what have you on mm-hmm. that, come over, commandeer the ship, take people hostage, and then steer the ship to. To uh, Somalia, whatever, and it's the cost of doing business for these insurance companies, just basically to pay the ransom. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good bet. You're making a lot of money when you do, when you do put because it's a, it's time versus money for these insurance companies and for the ship owners. So you have a ship worth X million, and you have to get your goods here. So these guys ask for a couple of million dollars. It's the cost of doing business, right? My question for you is this: You have a big tanker. How do these pirates get on the boat? If there, if the if the sailors on the boat are not complicit in some manner,
0: well, they do manage. It does happen. Um, you know, there are certain human cases where the sailors are complicit and and uh, this book <laughs> goes into that in some detail. But uh, you know, it's it's just a question of of the physical reality of it, which is uh, there is a way to get on to a to a large ocean vessel you have to first catch up to it. And so, you know, the best thing you can do as a ship captain is just to go really fast and hope that you can outrun whoever's coming after you. Uh, There are also precautions you can take, like stringing out barbed wire along the decks. Uh, You can use fire hoses to try and blast intruders off the hull. But uh, pirates have had a lot of practice. And, you know, they use things like grappling hooks to uh, haul themselves up the side of these vessels. And once they're on board, uh, the game has totally changed, right? The the big challenge is getting on board. Right. Once you are on board and you are armed, and the crew, for the most part, is not, because crews generally don't carry weapons. Although, you know, in recent years there has been uh, some adoption of of armed guards on ships. Um, once you're on board and you have the guns and the crew doesn't, uh, you're in a much stronger position. As a pirate, so so the whole game is getting on board, and after that, uh, your odds improve substantially.
1: Okay, great. Okay, so we got the background on that, and that's what uh, before even you know, just just reading uh, your book uh, gave me insight into the whole huge thirty-eight billion dollar industry. How many goods, and and we didn't mean anti the insurance part, but it's a very very lucrative business to be a pirate, with a little downside, right? Uh, it
0: certainly can be i think it's probably more lucrative for the people who finance piracy uh, than it is for the pirates themselves uh, i think if you are a a you know mesh tank topped uh, somali pirate <laughs> it's probably a pretty hard life but you know something that that has come out in in the various law enforcement investigations that have been undertaken over the years is this is a big business uh, there are serious investors behind it who are funding pirate operations uh, the money then has to be laundered because that's the most important thing about any criminal enterprise is money laundering. And so there was, uh, certainly for a, for a good long while, a flow of pirate money, uh, into Dubai in particular. And uh, once it's laundered into Dubai, it can then move into the international financial system. So yeah, this was, uh, this was a good investment. And, uh, that's what kept it going for, okay. for as long as it, as it did go. And, and today it continues in different parts of the world.
1: Okay, outstanding. Great. So we gave a, a great background as to the whole business, how it's done, and these all these ships have to go out insured. And so you have the insurance companies involved. They want to settle cases quick. They want to move on. You got owners. Perfect. Okay. Now let's get right to the meat of your book. So July 2011, there's an oil tanker traveling through the Gulf of Aden, is attacked. And that sets the stage for some really nasty stuff and exposes a lot of really terrible things that go on. So pick it up from there, Matt.
0: So the, the central event of the book, the, the event from which everything else departs, was what happened to an oil tanker called the Berlante Virtuoso. Uh, the Berlante was, believe it or not, not one of the very largest oil tankers, uh, but it was still pretty big, uh, 274 meters long. Which uh, is about the height of the Chrysler Building, so just absolutely gigantic, uh, carrying cargo of fuel oil uh, worth a hundred million dollars, give or take. Uh, it is traveling through the Gulf of Aden uh, on the way from Ukraine to China. When it is attacked by pirates, uh, in the course of this attack, something unusual happens, which is there is an explosion and a fire, and I say unusual because. Uh, you know if you if you think about the pirate business model we were just discussing uh, you're trying to take something and hold it for ransom you don't want anything to happen that's going to diminish the value of what you've taken so if you're a pirate you know blowing up the ship is a bad idea allowing a fire to get out of control right. is a bad idea nonetheless that's what happens and uh, the ship stays afloat uh, it doesn't sink the oil doesn't go up in flames but it's essentially a total loss. It, it's a wreck. And, and in financial terms, it's a write-off. Okay, hang on a second. Hang on
1: a second. So it's $100 million worth of fuel oil and the boat is insured right. for how much?
0: Between seventy and $80 million, depending okay.
1: on how you calculate it. So you're looking at around $180 million uh, payday here that someone's insured. And uh, if you have a crappy boat, it's uh, not seaworthy, what have you. And if you can scuttle that ship, you're going to make $180 million, more or less.
0: That's pretty much the size of it. Yeah. Uh, You know, there is a fair bit of insurance fraud in the shipping industry. This is something that's gone on since pretty much the dawn of time, certainly the dawn of finance. Uh, It's become more sophisticated and more ambitious over the years. But yeah, as you can imagine, when you have assets that are insured for huge amounts of money, and at sea, uh, a pretty lawless uh, environment where it's easy to get away with stuff uh, because nobody can see it and the evidence might be at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. Uh, yeah, there, there are opportunities there.
1: Perfect, okay, so I cut you into your story, forgive me. So the boat is taken. It's unique here in the situations that there's an explosion on that ship, which really stunning to see doesn't make that much sense. And the ship is a total loss because now you have the salvage company come out and try to salvage the ship. And they get paid too, right? Because there's, you know, what $100 million yeah. worth of oil destroying the coastline. So there's another incentive there. So the crew is rescued. Who rescues the crew?
0: It was the U.S. Navy in this case. They were picked up by an American cruiser.
1: Okay. So an American cruiser picks up the—interviews these people, interviews these—I think they're mostly Philippines, right? Filipinos? That's right.
0: All 26 are Filipino. Okay.
1: All 26 are Filipinos. And what's the captain doing during this time?
0: Well, the captain was held hostage by the pirates on the bridge. He was separated from the rest of the crew, uh, as was the chief engineer. Uh, And this becomes important later on because uh, there are some allegations made, fairly credible allegations, as to what the captain and the chief engineer might have been doing in that time.
1: Okay, so something smells a little bit run because you don't have a total 100% write-off sorry, right off 100% loss given these conditions just doesn't make sense so far, right?
0: That's right. It doesn't make sense. And, and what happens when there is a big Marine accident is people get it. A lot of people get involved you know, this is a $180 million liability that lands in London at Lloyd's, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Lloyd's is the center of an industry, the Marine insurance industry, which employs, you know, many thousands of people all over the world. So this whole ecosystem uh, snaps into movement when something like this happens. Uh, in this case, the big priority was to get somebody's eyes on the ship. The Lloyd's market needed someone to go check it out.
1: Okay, so that's the equivalent if you changed. have, if you have yeah. a, I'm sorry, to interrupt you. If you have a claim on your house or a claim on your car, an adjuster comes to size it up and exactly. tells the insurance company, "Look, I think this was fraud, or this guy really, you know, had his house destroyed." So Lloyd's employees, this. One particular guy whose name is David Market. David Mocket. Huge guy. He's what, six four, six five or so? Englishman. Something meat. like that. Yeah. Big guy. And he's living in Yemen, right? And he's right. the go-to guy for these kinds of things. Honest, credible guy. So he's the adjuster, if you will. I know he's not, but let's put it a sense. He's the adjuster. We we're Lloyds of London. We want to get eyes on that ship to make sure before we pay a nickel and claims, was this a real 100% loss, All right? So, right, is that more or less, do I have a right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, look, he is, they're called marine surveyors, but essentially what David is is uh, someone who does insurance adjusting just at massive scale, which right. do with huge marine accidents.
1: Okay, so this guy goes out on a boat. He gets wired from Lloyd's in London from, I don't know who the contact was. Go out, check this out. He goes and checks this out. He looks at this boat, and what does he see?
0: he sees a story that doesn't make sense. He doesn't have a positive theory of what happens. Like he doesn't have an alternative explanation. He just knows that what he's seeing, what he's hearing about this apparent pirate attack and this explosion doesn't really stack up. And he's suspicious. And he shares those suspicions with people around him, uh, both uh, in Yemen, where he lived at the time and back in London.
1: Okay. He sees, if I'm if I remember right, just just correct me if I'm wrong here. He doesn't he doesn't see any any um, um, the explosion, which doesn't doesn't make sense, right? The uh, the holes, the um, what do you call it, the bullets or what have you? Does he see punctures? Oh, yeah. He doesn't see any things, of that.
0: Things he was told things he was told would be there were not basically, right. is the, right. the general statement.
1: Okay, so they're looking from these Filipino sailors gave a story that somehow not matching to the Navy something U.S. Navy something is not matching up with what he's seeing with boots on the ground, boots on the ground, boots on the water in this case, right? Super. Boots on the deck, yeah, exactly. Boots on the deck, okay. Now sets in play a whole bunch of characters in the background who this guy is, is upsetting the apple cart because from what I was learning about Lloyds of London, these cases rarely get prosecuted because it's much easier to pay them off than to say that you're doing fraud because it destroys your whole brand in the shipping industry, is that right?
0: Yeah, one of the things in researching for this book that that really blew my mind was learning that uh, marine sketchy claims, you know, claims that look like they might be fraudulent in marine insurance get paid out all the time. And, you know, it's kind of a variation of the old line that if you owe the bank a million dollars, it's your problem, and if you owe them a billion, it's their problem. Right. You know, if you intentionally blow up your bar, the insurance company is probably not going to pay you. But uh, if you intentionally blow up a $100 million oil tanker, they just might, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, which we can get into, but but the incentives for them are generally to pay out, at least
1: partially. Right. They won't call you a liar. They'll just say something. They'll make a settlement because the more, the hazard to them is that no other shipping companies want to do business with them if they're not paying out claims.
0: Yeah, that's one, you know, not good for business to accuse your biggest clients of fraud. Uh, You know, another thing that uh, the the kind of more charitable explanation is uh, there's a really high bar in the uh, English courts, which is where these things get adjudicated to proving fraud. And so you could spend a huge amount of money uh, on a legal case and lose anyway, uh, because that bar is so difficult
1: to reach. So it's easy to just settle, pay them whatever they want, and they still make it. Okay, excellent. So this guy, David Mocket, right? Market, David Market? He goes, he files his report, and uh, he's signing to see something that doesn't make any sense. So pretty quickly, he gets into his car one day, and what happens?
0: Uh, July 20th, 2011, uh, he has been in contact with a number of people uh, about his findings, which are suspicious. He gets into his car outside his office in Aden, uh, drives a very short distance, You know, probably less than a minute, uh, and is killed by a bomb that had been placed uh, under the driver's seat, uh, obviously intended only for him.
1: Okay. So now, and and his wife uh, is really, she's living now in England, I believe, right? She's, she's That's in right.
0: Right. Cynthia Maca. Yeah. In
1: and, yeah and, and, and something just seems totally off on this. And even from when I was, this guy was really well-respected, not only in the industry, but in Yemen as well, right?
0: he was uh he was a local celebrity you know there weren't a lot of expats in yemen to begin with definitely not at this time when things were getting really unstable uh, in the arab spring Uh, you know initially this was blamed on terrorism which is kind of the obvious explanation at that time in that part of the world but uh over as they looked into it further it became clear to the people who looked into this case that there was something else going on
1: okay so to pick it up from there what's going on here
0: so, what the insurers in London end up eventually accusing uh, the ship owner in this case of is of uh, attempting a gigantic fraud, uh, one of the most audacious, uh, really, in the history of the industry. You know, I, I won't get too much into the details, but um, the, the allegation, and it's one that you know ultimately uh, proves to be substantiated by by legal proceedings in London, is that uh, this whole thing was cooked up. Uh, in an attempt to defraud Lloyd's of London of uh, a great deal of money.
1: Okay, and the guy behind this is uh, what do they call a the, the, the little Mario? I'm sorry, what was it, Mario
0: <laughs> Super Mario? Uh, Super Mario. Uh, so the Super owner Mario. of the Bronte, yeah. yeah, is a is a Greek shipping tycoon named Mario Siliopoulos, uh, who uh, owns a bunch of oil tankers, owns a big ferry line in Greece. Uh, he's also a rally driver, uh, so he he competes in rally races, which are these kind of off-road, or not exactly off-road, but these uh, very high-speed uh, road races uh, in souped-up cars. And, uh, yeah, he is ultimately accused by the insurers of being the mastermind of this fraud.
1: So he's accused of this fraud. He, there's a trial. At the trial, uh, the judge, uh, he's belligerent, he's a belligerent, uh, He's belligerent on the stand. He's right. He doesn't even reckon it. it's to him. It's totally alien. What are you crazy? And there's everything. All the breadcrumbs lead to this being a fraud, right?
0: That's right. And yet uh, he's never prosecuted, which is really interesting uh, and is, I think, you know, to the great discredit of law enforcement in the UK, who would be the ones who who would pursue this. Uh, he's never been charged. Uh, there has never been a, a serious criminal investigation of any of these events, you know, including the murder of David Mockett. So um, there have been civil proceedings, though, and and those civil proceedings did find that the was responsible for all of this.
1: Okay, so who's the whistleblower in this? Who spills the beans on all of this uh, and gives everyone the inside of? Wait a second, what was originally said when they were rescued by the U.S. Navy at the time of it was all well fabricated.
0: Yeah, there were a few whistleblowers. Uh, The most interesting is a guy named Demetrius Plakakis, who was a Greek sailor who ended up being involved with this attempt to destroy the Burlanti Virtuoso. And he he later comes forward. He makes contact with these two private investigators who are working for the Lloyds of London market. And, uh, you know, in a a series of statements uh, to the police and and to others, uh, Plakakis lays the whole thing out. And those statements end up getting disclosed in court, uh, which provides really explosive evidence uh, of the scale of, of this attempted fraud.
1: Which you just just touch on a few of them. What was what what some of the the, the, the the fraud?
0: Well, essentially, that uh, this whole thing had been planned in advance. That uh, the pirates were fake pirates. Uh, they had been uh, you know hired to perform a job. They certain first of all, they weren't Somali. Uh, you know, everyone thought they were Somali pirates. These guys were Yemeni. Um, they were, according to Pokakis, uh, actually off-duty members of the Yemeni Coast Guard who had been paid to create a kind of hoax pirate attack. Um, and, uh, similarly, you know, Pokakis alleges with pretty good foundation that the salvage crews, uh, the guys who attended to the ship after it was blown up, were all in on the whole thing, tipped off in advance. Uh, so, you know, this, this statement that ends up getting disclosed, which I think is 60 or 70 pages, it's unbelievably detailed, is kind of the skeleton key to the whole scam.
1: And then you have this one, uh, one of the sailors in the Philippines, who he's a Christian guy and his conscience is bothering him, right? And he risks his life.
0: So you're referring to to a guy named Alan Marquez, who was one of the sailors. He was actually the first sailor on the Berlante to see the pirates. And and he was on the deck when they came on board. And I made contact with him years afterward in uh, 2017. So six years after these events. And he told me that uh, he felt terrible about the fact that he'd lied in the aftermath. He'd been told, he said by Marius Iliopoulos, the ship owner, that he needed to tell a certain story. Uh, he'd been threatened, uh, Alan said he'd been threatened by Iliopolis, uh, threatened with death, threatened his family, death threats were made against his family uh, as to what would happen if he didn't tell the right story. But he said to me and, and later to others, because he, he was then interviewed as part of his legal proceedings, that yeah as a christian he didn't want to lie he felt he had uh, done something wrong and he wanted to set it right by telling the truth which he did
1: so now with all of this we have a guy dead we have david Mocket dead uh his widow is in england now demanding justice and there's no justice to be found uh the trial takes place and we see all the inner workings of lloyds of london how it it's more economical uh and uh, more, yeah, basically, more economical to settle the case than to bring it to this this uh, bring it to court. And and wh- why why was this brought to court? Why wasn't this settled outside?
0: So there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is this was an unusually large amount of money. Uh, you know, 180 million dollars in total is a big ticket, uh, even at Lloyd's of London. Um, two was I think the death of David Mockett uh, did have something to do with it. Uh, that. You know although although the lawyers on the insurance side would say no it's not relevant it's, it's totally separate because they're arguing a civil insurance case they're not arguing a murder trial i think that did have something to do with their decision to fight um and and generally i think the the just the audacity of this was so extreme that uh in this case uh, the lawyers market decided it was worth going to the mat over it
1: has anything changed in the I don't know ten years or so that this happened. Eleven years, uh, where uh, there's more fraud, less fraud, more of these incidents, less of them.
0: Uh, in a word, no. <laughs> this this sort of thing still happens all the time, and the reasons it still happens are because the shipping industry's legal and financial structure remains the same. You know, one thing that uh, enables a huge amount of bad behavior is the fact that lots and lots of ships are owned anonymously. Uh, so even a vessel's insurers at Lloyd's don't necessarily know who the the UBO, the ultimate beneficial owner is. All they know is the name of the shell company that owns just that one ship. And that means, for example, that if you are a serial fraudster, uh, the people, the insurers you're dealing with may not even be able to draw lines between specific incidents and you. Uh, all they know about are these shell companies. And, and this plays out in other parts of the shipping world and other kinds of bad behavior. You know, anonymous ownership is a big, big problem. Uh, And I think until that changes, until governments, you know, like the U.S. get serious about regulating shipping more intensely, uh, this kind of these kind of misdeeds are going to keep keep happening.
1: You know, you would think that with so much money at stake and how uh, shipping is so vital to our economy and we actually have U.S., our U.S. Navy uh, men and and women in this area, risking their lives to protect sailors and ships, you would think, you know, that should be a priority for for somebody, right?
0: Well, it's not. And for the same reasons, actually, because all those arguments work the other way, Um, you know, shipping is incredibly good at getting cheap stuff to American consumers. And uh, the industry has argued successfully over the years that uh, regulation slowing things down will be felt, you know, on the shelves at Walmart. It'll be felt in the price tags at Walmart. You know, after 9/11, there was this brief moment where the Bush administration, you know, had a moment of of real concern when they realized any container coming into Port Liberty in Newark could have a dirty bomb in it for all we know. Right, right. Uh, we need to scan Every container. Well, you know that took about five minutes before they realized that that's impossible, unless you want to gum up the entire retail supply chain. So, you know, the the kind of argument of the shipping industry is we do a great job getting stuff to consumers quickly and, and at a good price. And if you regulate us, we won't be able to do that anymore.
1: Right. So at the end of the day, uh, Cynthia was the name, right? Cynthia Market.
0: Cynthia Market. That's right.
1: Yeah. So Cynthia Market's husband is blown to pieces. Body never. His body is in a zillion parts after uh, the uh, bomb exploded, and um, and uh, she never got a nickel. Right.
0: No, that's right. No compensation whatsoever, Uh, and and she remains, as you can imagine, uh, very angry at the way uh, she and her family have been treated
1: yeah i think yeah i think you even mentioned that his own life insurance policy or something didn't even pay out or something to that effect Were that's that... right yeah so have you been in contact with her since
0: yes yes kid and i are in are in pretty frequent contact with her and, and some of the people who are uh, helping her press her case uh, which she's still trying to do she's pursuing this with the british government her member of parliament uh asked a question in the house of commons about it uh of the Home Secretary who who runs the law enforcement. But uh, it's kind of a series of non-answers from the British government wow. as to whether wow. there will be real investigation.
1: So not only does crime pay, in this case, uh, on a big scale, crime pays enormously well with, at the same time, uh, very little downside.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's perhaps, it's not the best moral of the story, but- uh, That's what it is. You can you can make good money doing bad stuff, uh, and that's why people do
1: it. Wow, I'm not you know advocating for anyone to be a pirate, but um, it, it seems the incentives here are so large, and the prosecution is so slim to none, and the insurance companies just want to move on. And you have the anonymity of shell companies. To you know, it's like it's not when I when I when I get a car, they have a whole history of all my driving records for a zillion years back, hmm. and if I ever tried, you know, how many claims I put in. I, it's so automatic that there's no way, unless you change your identity, that you're able to get the rate that you think you should get, you know, based on your history. They, they, they put together a premium based on your history. Here, it seems you're starting from ground zero every time. So you could have terrible people continually getting insurance from these backers and committing these atrocities.
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good summation of it. And, and there's an interesting contrast. If you want to look at another global industry with uh, the airline business and you know everything to do with airplanes is unbelievably regulated. And there are there's quite a lot of transparency, you know, even around things like private jets. You know, it's not always possible for the public to know who owns a private jet, but governments generally do. Uh, you know, so aviation has had a real microscope put on it over the years, but the shipping has totally escaped that.
1: Yeah, amazing, absolutely, and, and and the um and the um the uh, coordination with in the airline industry, uh, with countries international, it's it's like seamless. It's it's, it's just amazing how uh, everything works together for the safety of the passenger. You know, a plane goes down to Madagascar, the FAA is all over that as well, and that it trails right back to the manufacturer of the aircraft and a whole bunch of liability issues. Here. You know, I don't want to say, but I'm just reading the book. I'm saying, you know, okay, let's buy a tanker, scuttle it, insure it for <laughs> two hundred, you know, fifty million dollars, and settle for twenty.
0: You want to do the insuring before the scuttling, but yeah, it's, a, it's oh well. Well, good I, well, I
1: read the book. the 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 uh, salvage companies knew exactly when to get there before the ship even had a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's something that that does happen. You know, I think everyone assumes that that goes on. Periodically, that salvage companies are uh, tipped off, you know, and are thus able to get to the scene of "quote unquote" accidents with uh, improbable speed.
1: Uh, and by the way, the money there was big. Also, I think the uh, was a Poseidon, correct? The salvage. Uh, yeah,
0: they were it? one of yeah. There was another one as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was ten million
1: dollars of- or so, right? They they wanted a fee. Of uh, 10 the Salvage
0: million. award was was thirty million.
1: Thirty yeah. million, huge.
0: Yeah. Because the way salvage works is um, if you uh, run a salvage crew, uh, you get paid a percentage of whatever value you save. Wow. And the percentage is not fixed. It it goes, it's either you agree it or it goes to arbitration. And it could be 10, 20, 30%. So if you're talking about $100 million liability, uh, it's pretty good
1: money. Which in this case was the oil and the environmental hazard that would have... Uh, yeah, That's right. Heard. Wow! 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 Um, all right. When did this book come out, Matt?
0: This book was published uh, in the U.S. in early May.
1: Early May. Have Have you heard from any uh, anyone in the U.S. Uh, legislature or any politicians of any sort about this, or it's? Uh,
0: no, not yet. Uh, you know, I certainly hope that that we will eventually. Um, there's a lot of other things on the agenda right now. Uh, but I do hope that that this does become a priority for politicians in the U.S. and elsewhere at some point.
1: Yeah, I really hope so because um, it's 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 just absolutely amazing the uh, uh, how how the human cost to getting your iPhone delivered by boat and having it you know at a cheaper price than if it was flown here.
0: Exactly. Yeah, this is an industry that we all have the luxury of never thinking about. You know, we don't think about who gets hurt by it. Uh, but those people are real, you know, these these misdeeds and, and crimes, in some cases, are real. And, uh, you know, I, I hope this book causes some people to pay attention.
1: Yeah, what's interesting to me is that, you know, a few years ago, uh, Walmart and the major major big boxes that were manufacturing goods overseas made the manufacturers of these, they weren't manufacturing, they were buying, made these manufacturers uh, have sweatshop laws, make sure that the factories didn't employ <laughs> people. Uh, made them leave certain countries, certain areas, certain this. And here, no one really cares. Once you get that stuff on the boat, what happens to those poor sailors?
0: Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I had someone who works in the in the kind of ESG space saying that to me, you know, that uh, big retailers spend huge amounts of time and money looking into the factories where their stuff comes from because no one wants to be supporting, you know, slave labor or anything like that. But the steps in between are a total black box for them and, and they haven't even thought of looking into that, which which is kind of crazy.
1: Amazing, amazing. Okay, folks, the name of the book is Dead in the Water, A True Story of Hijacking, Murder, and a Global Maritime Conspiracy by Matthew Campbell and his co-author, Kit Chalel. Really well worth reading uh, because I knew nothing about tankers. Uh, you you get a great education in that and by the end of the book, it's like, I, I can't believe all this, you know, this, this is a great screenplay, by the way. Get that sold. I think it'll it'll make really... You that, know. Uh,
0: we we do hope this will be on uh, probably the small screen uh, at some point. Before
1: no, too long. It, it makes an exciting story. You know, maybe it, it just really is it's an exciting story and, and an unjust one also, how, uh, you know, crime pays and pays big. So, uh, you know, Matt, great job uh, shedding light on an area which uh, 99% of the people Consumers don't even think about. At least they'll start thinking. Indeed. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.